Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. It is time for another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We are having so much fun with this show. It has been an absolute joy for me to have the opportunity to meet so many entrepreneurs who are doing so many different things. And originally I started off and I was interviewing kind of my buddies, right? I I think I may have said on an episode before, the way Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do was born was out of a blog post series that I did for over and still do for over two years on my Some Assembly Required blog called Cool Things My Friends Do. You know, I got kind of tired of blogs where all people did was write about themselves and what they were doing and their pontifications and their ideas. And I realized that my blog was exactly the same thing. And so one day a friend of mine had done a TEDx talk back before, you know, they they were more common. And I thought, wow, how cool that one of my friends did this TEDx talk and it was online and, and it was a good talk. And so I wrote about it and I just titled it Cool Things My Friends Do. And everybody got really excited. And then I wrote something about another friend and a friend of mine and her husband took a Harley trip across the eastern seaboard. And I, every week I would write about something that somebody I knew was doing. Maybe they published a book. Maybe they had a baby. Whatever it was that was just cool, I wrote about it. And the feedback was incredible. But what I also found was I liked blogging again because I was talking about other people, not just myself. And so for two years, this went on and somebody told me, Tom, you should turn that into a podcast. And I thought, who wants to listen to what about my friends do? And then I realized a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs and cool things entrepreneurs do was born. But what's happened now that the show has got some momentum is I'm starting to hear from other people and people are saying, hey, you should interview my friend or you should interview my boss or, hey, this person really is doing something that's tearing it up. And, and that's my guest today, Jim Palmer. And no, not the Jim Palmer who was the famous baseball player and underwear model from the 80s, but Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru. He is also the dream business coach. And for 13 years, he's been working for himself. Previous to that, he spent... 10 years helping grow a franchise company from a really small couple of outlets to over 80 outlets. So he worked for a company and then one day he decided, you know what? My path is going to be Jim Palmer. And today he is cutting it up. So Jim, welcome to the show. Tom, how you doing, man? I love cool things entrepreneurs do. And, you know, in your introduction, one of the things that really resonated with me, which is why I know we're going to get along famously, is that one of the cool things about podcasts is I, when I'm, because I have my own show, as you know, and when I'm listening to other podcasts and I always picture when I'm doing the interview, I picture somebody walking down a path with their earbuds in and it's like they're listening listening to a conversation between two people on a topic that they really enjoy. And if they at least once go, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Mm, Aha. Something like that. It's a good day. So I love your show, man. Well, and that's exactly the idea is I'm doing the show. I kind of think sometimes I'm doing the show for me 10 years ago when I was working for a company and had this this ping inside of me that said, Tom, you want to go work for yourself. Hey, you should be making your own path. Hey, this is that this is something you can do. And and there weren't podcasts where I could listen to people just chat about it. I read a lot of books. I was a voracious reader and I talked to a lot of people, but I had this nagging ping inside of me. And so I sometimes think the show is for that person that out there somewhere, there's someone who was me 10 years ago who needs to hear Jim and me have this, Jim and I have this conversation. 
you know, a friend of mine who um, was a mentor of mine early in my career said, because um, he encouraged me to get into coaching and then do my own live seminars and what he goes, Jim, here's one of the big reasons to do it. Not only do you have a message to share, but he said, the teacher always learns more. <laughs> so, well, you know, when you're doing this and you're teaching and sharing, you're, you're learning just as much by doing these, which is so cool. And that's another way this show sort of came about is I attended the National Speakers Association Conference this summer in San Diego, and I was in one of the breakout sections, and I think it was a gentleman named Ed Robinson. One of his tips was go out and interview 50 people, and he had lots of reasons why that would be a good thing, but one of the things he said was after you've interviewed 50 people, you come away smarter. You're better. You will grow. You you can't help but to expand yourself if you sit well, down. That's exactly with- what Napoleon Hill did, right? Thinking about rich. Right. Same same exact idea. And so that's, I was originally going to interview people on my blog and then this podcast sort of just grew un, unto itself. And and here we are having a conversation today. So Jim, that's tell right. us. That's so right. Let's, let's, let's do let's it. Let's reveal some things. <laughs> so Jim, tell me a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about your business. You know, I started, Tom, um, 13 years ago, I created a company called Dynamic Communication and and um, I've, I've been involved in entrepreneurial companies all my life, and but in every aspect, I was kind of the marketing guy. And I created my first newsletter when I was uh, running a bicycle store. It's 21 years old, and every business I went to from there on, I created newsletters as one of the chief client retention tools. And so when I decided to go out on my own, which I actually didn't decide, my position was eliminated as is the sanitized <laughs> Saying I fired, I guess. I don't know what it was, but you know, 42 years old, my position as VP of marketing for this training company was eliminated one day, and I suddenly found myself out of work for the first Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. It is time for another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We are having so much fun with this show. It has been an absolute joy for me to have the opportunity to meet so many entrepreneurs who are doing so many different things. And originally, I started off and I was interviewing kind of my buddies, right? I, I think I may have said on an episode before, the way Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do was born was out of a blog post series that I did for over and still do for over two years on my Some Assembly Required blog called Cool Things My Friends Do. You know, I got kind of tired of blogs where all people did was write about themselves and what they were doing and their pontifications and their ideas. And I realized that my blog was exactly the same thing. And so one day a friend of mine had done a TEDx talk back before, you know, they, they were more common. And I thought, wow, how cool that one of my friends did this TEDx talk and it was online and, and it was a good talk. And so I wrote about it and I just titled it Cool Things My Friends Do. And everybody got really excited. And then I wrote something about another friend and a friend of mine and her husband took a Harley trip across the eastern seaboard. And I, every week I would write about something that somebody I knew was doing. Maybe they published a book. Maybe they had a baby, whatever it was that was just cool. I wrote about it and the feedback was incredible. But what I also found was I liked blogging again because I was talking about other people, not just myself. And so for two years, this went on and somebody told me, Tom, you should turn that into a podcast. And I thought, who wants to listen to what about my friends do? And then I realized a lot of my friends are entrepreneurs and cool things entrepreneurs do was born. 
But what's happened now that the show has got some momentum is I'm starting to hear from other people and people are saying, hey, you should interview my friend or you should interview my boss or, hey, this person really is doing something that's tearing it up. And, and that's my guest today, Jim Palmer. And no, not the Jim Palmer, who was the famous baseball player and underwear model from the 80s, but Jim Palmer, the newsletter guru. He is also the dream business coach. And for 13 years, he's been working for himself. Previous to that, he spent... 10 years helping grow a franchise company from a really small couple of outlets to over 80 outlets. So he worked for a company and then one day he decided, you know what? My path is going to be Jim Palmer. And today he is cutting it up. So Jim, welcome to the show. Tom, how you doing, man? I love cool things entrepreneurs do. And, you know, in your introduction, one of the things that really resonated with me, which is why I know we're going to get along famously, is that one of the cool things about podcasts is I when I'm because I have my own show, as you know, and when I'm listening to other podcasts and I always picture when I'm doing the interview, I picture somebody walking down a path with their earbuds in and it's like they're listening listening to a conversation between two people on a topic that they really enjoy. And if they at least once go, oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Mm, aha. Something like that. It's a good day. So I love your show, man. Well, and that's exactly the idea is I'm doing the show. I kind of think sometimes I'm doing the show for me 10 years ago when I was working for a company and had this, this ping inside of me that said, Tom, you want to go work for yourself. Hey, you should be making your own path. Hey, this is that. This is something you can do. And and there weren't podcasts where I could listen to people just chat about it. I read a lot of books. I was a voracious reader, and I talked to a lot of people. But I had this na nagging ping inside of me, and so I sometimes think the show is for that person. That out there somewhere, there's someone who was me ten years ago who needs to hear Jim and me have this. Jim and I have this conversation. You know, a friend of mine who um, was a mentor of mine early in my career said, because um, he encouraged me to get into coaching and then do my own live seminars and what he goes, Jim, here's one of the big reasons to do it. Not only do you have a message to share, but he said, the teacher always learns more. <laughs> so, well, you know, when you're doing this and you're teaching and sharing, you're, you're learning just as much by doing these, which is so cool. And that's another way this show sort of came about is I attended the National Speakers Association conference this summer in San Diego, and I was in one of the breakout sections, and I I think it was a gentleman named Ed Robinson. One of his tips was go out and interview 50 people. And he had lots of reasons why that would be a good thing. But one of the things he said was after you've interviewed 50 people, you come away smarter. You're better. You will grow. You, you can't help but to expand yourself if you sit well, down. That's exactly with Napoleon Hill did, right? Think and grow rich. Right. Same, same exact idea. And so that's, I was originally going to interview people on my blog and then this podcast sort of just grew un, unto itself. And, and here we are having a conversation today. So Jim, that's tell right. us, so let's, let, let's do let's it. Let's reveal some things. <laughs> so Jim, tell me a little bit, tell the audience a little bit about your business. You know, I started, Tom, um, 13 years ago, I created a company called Dynamic Communication and and um, I've, I've been involved in entrepreneurial companies all my life, and but in every aspect, I was kind of the marketing guy. And I created my first newsletter when I was uh, running a bicycle store. It's 21 years old, and every business I went to from there on, I created newsletters as one of the chief client retention tools. And so when I decided to go out on my own, which I actually didn't decide, my position was eliminated as is the sanitized <laughs> Saying I fired, I guess. I don't know what it was, but you know, 42 years old, my position as VP of marketing for this training company was eliminated one day. And I suddenly found myself out of work for the first time since I was 15. And, um, 
you know, I, I had uh, four teenagers at home, you know, mortgage, couple cars, all the expensive things. And I immediately, I always knew I'd go into business, Tom, but I just didn't think that was the right time. But, um, so I assumed I was going to just find another job, but that was 15 months of unemployment. And a year after I lost my job, uh, I was diagnosed with melanoma. So I had to fight that. I mean, it was a very bad, very, very low point in my life. And in September uh, of 2001, is when I made the decision to start my business, kind of, let's just take control of my own destiny, as they say, and that's when I started. And so I grew my first business to multiple six figures in five years, and then I decided to start over again uh, because what I did was what so many entrepreneurs do is I, I started with this concept, and it quickly grew into something which was nothing more than a job. I happened to own the company, but I had a job, and I, I had no time freedom even though I was getting financial freedom. And I learned a lot about internet marketing, direct response marketing, power of leverage, multiple streams of revenue, and recreated myself today. So my first business closed two years after that, and today I run multiple um, six-figure businesses. So, you know, you've been doing this now for a long time, and, and you found yourself in a situation where you didn't love working for yourself, and so you recreated it. What is it that you really do like about this entrepreneurial lifestyle? What is it that gets you up in the morning and says, yes. The, the, the reason I'm, I'm excited today and even still work ridiculous hours, but by choice and because I enjoy it, is because of really about half to three quarters of my time is um, coaching you know, a, a large number of entrepreneurs and small business owners to higher levels of success. It's just after you reach a certain point and people go, hey, how do you do that? How do you do this? How'd you build so many companies? Blah, blah, blah. And that's, that is kind of the opening foray if you choose to go down that path to becoming um, a business coach and that's what really gets me going so I have nine different uh, virtual assistants that help me run my various businesses so most of what I do is uh, do my coaching I do I market my businesses that's my chief role is the is the head marketer for everything and then I uh, I do interviews like these that's primarily what I spend my time in or doing and I happen to enjoy all three of them all of the task oriented stuff is now done by other people so one of the things you're known as is the newsletter guru. And as I was preparing to talk to you today, I was thinking, you know, in this world where we're, we're crazy for social media and we're wacky for podcasts, is the newsletter still important to entrepreneurs? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, only if you want to stay in touch with your clients in a big way. <laughs> you know, so, you know, one of the questions I get asked and you sort of ask it in a different way is about the whole digital versus, you know, print and mail, paper and ink type, you know, direct mail, which of, of certainly a newsletter is, you know, so for e I'm going to just get, use some easy round numbers. So if you had a thousand customers on your on your mailing list, Tom, and you said, I'm not going to send uh, mail anymore. I'm just going to do email with today's uh, email situation. If you can get a 5% deliverability rate, maybe 10%, you are a rock star. And that doesn't even mean they open it and read it. That's just getting it to them through all the spam filters. And now with Google having their multiple you know, uh, folders and things like that, what that means is if you have a thousand customers, on average, 90% or 900 of them are not hearing from you. The only way to guarantee they're going to hear from you is when they walk out to their mailbox at the end of their driveway or in their office, they receive something. Someone puts something in their mailbox or secretary brings it to their desk or whatever that looks like. That's the only way that you're going to be guaranteed to get in front of your, your customers. 
Well, and, and I find, because I still do for my speaking business, I still occasionally will mail like a, a physical postcard. And mm-hmm. I've had consultants, you know, who help speakers grow their business and stuff say, oh, no, 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 no. It has to be digital. And they actually like steer you away from it. And, you know, their belief is that, oh, some people get offended that you're hurting trees if you mail to them. I get more business off of that postcard than I do off of, you know, most of the digital stuff that I do when it really comes to a direct response. Yeah. Um, so I was at this event uh, just this past um, Thursday and Friday, and one of my um, my company's called No Hassle Newsletters, and one of my clients came up to me and said, Jim, I got to tell you, I started six months ago. I've already got enough business to pay for my newsletter. I said, tell me more, because it's like music to my ears. And he goes, well, first of all, I had a couple of clients after the second month of mailing that I haven't heard from, haven't interacted with. They say, oh, it's great to hear from you. One of the things I teach is you want to have a success story. So it's how your company, how one of your products or services has helped another customer. And so that becomes the kind of the lead story. And so merely by putting yourself out there, you have to stay in front of your of your customers, past customers, prospects, et cetera. You have to stay top of mind. And a newsletter is a really good way to do that. And sure enough, he started getting some more, you know, repeat business from past clients. He actually got a referral. All this is happening within the first six months because He's building the relationship. You know, I know this, Tom, from from following you and with your all the work you do with networking and things like that. And if you look at networking, speaking, relationships, social media, all of that is for one reason. It's to build strong relationships with people. Healthy, profitable businesses have healthy, strong relationships. And that's one of the reasons when I tell people, you know, when you if you want to come work with me, you have to understand one thing. I have no silver bullet, no magic wand to building a, you know, a six-figure business overnight because most businesses are built on the power of happy clients and and relationships and it just takes time to develop relationships. I agree and I go back always to the old cliche of people do business with people they know, like and trust. And a like, a link, a share, or a follow in some social media community is not the same as a friendship. There's there's a huge difference. And people think, well, you know, oh, we're connected on LinkedIn. Well, what does that mean if the person doesn't know? Nobody wakes up in the middle of the night and thinks, hey, how can I serve that stranger? Yeah. You know, one of the things in, um, that my live event, I teach about social media, but I don't – in a kind of a broad brushstroke way. I said, don't be so concerned with likes and shares. It's nice to get them. But what you want to be doing is social media is just another platform, you know, so you could have your blog, you got different platforms within social media, you got speaking, you got authoring books, all these different things, your podcast, you should be doing videos, all those things are platforms to help connect you and to help build relationships. If somebody reads your blog or, or Tom, if they're listening to this interview, they may really, really enjoy it. They may hold hold you in even in even higher esteem than they do now. They might want to check me out. It doesn't mean they're going to like it or share it. So what I tell people is, all you want to do is be putting out really good, valuable content. Think of ways that you can add value to the lives of people that are following you, and and that and you're going to know that. I mean, if your business is growing, that's really the true sign. So I I would tell people not to obsess over over likes too much. So, Jim, one of the things that, you know, we had talked about was that, you know, you um, got laid off and that's how you started this. You were Mm -hmm. uh, working for somebody, your job went away, whatever you want to call it. And then you were out of work looking for that regular job. And then one day you decided, hey, I'm going to start my own thing. 
I think that's a story that happens to a lot of people. It, it, it certainly happened to me. I wanted to launch this career as a professional speaker and trainer, and, and I was planning for it. I'd written some books. I was already doing it on the side. But when the recession hit in 2008 and in 2009, the company I worked for eliminated 50% of the jobs, I had no choice. There was nowhere to go. So I had to start my business. And I'm kind of glad it happened that way because I did and I've been successful and I've, I've built a career in what they sort of call the traditional speaking model in the fact that that's my, you know, I get paid to speak. That's my, uh -huh. that is my career, but I probably wouldn't have done it this way and or as successfully if I hadn't been laid off. So I think that happens to a lot of people. So let's say that there's somebody who goes through a layoff or maybe right now they're they're out of work and that's why they clicked on cool things entrepreneurs do. They're thinking, you know, I haven't had much luck. Maybe I should do my own thing. What advice do you have for them? Well, first of all, um, the title of my fifth book is Stop Waiting For It To Get Easier, Create Your Dream Business Now. And so, you know, if you're thinking of becoming an entrepreneur, uh, and really, you know, feel the fire in your belly, then I would say go for it. Don't wait. There's no easier. The best time to start is always right now. I mean, it, it, the funny story is, Tom, when I, when I finished writing that book, it took me about six months. I then, after it, after it was all done, I came across this uh, old Chinese proverb, the best time to build a tree is 20 years ago. The second best time is yesterday. I love that. I, I love that. I use that in, in my speeches talking about awesome? your network. It, it's thought, a perfect man, I analogy. I put that in and wrapped it around a cover. That could have been my book. But, um, you know, what I tell people this also is you have to go in with eyes wide open. So many successful um, business folks that I know today say, if I only knew how hard it would be, I probably wouldn't have done it. And so, you know, I know that 50% um, of small business owners that start a business are gone within within the first year or two. 80% are closed within five years. So 80%. Now, the number one reason, if you look at statistics, it says that they, they run out of money. And that actually may be true, but I like to peel the onion back. And the reason they run out of money is they run out of courage or guts, however you want to say it. Because whether you're trying to get through the lean years, whether that's a one year or five years or 10 years, whatever it is, until the momentum takes hold and, and you really start to build you know, a successful business, going through those lean years of, and continuing to borrow, whether it's from family, friends, a bank, credit cards, whatever that looks like, you know, you that really, you really find out who you are. And for me, my entire first year in business, Tom, was what I call revenue free, which means it took me a year to get my first <laughs> new client. Late. And I like that. I, I'm going to remember that one. I have a nice way of sanitizing some of the worst things in my life. But anyway, you know, but here's what I was doing that entire first year. I was I was planting seeds. I was joining chambers of commerce, cha-ching on a credit card, going out to networking events, multiple chambers, going out to different business organizations, cold calling, both knocking on doors, local businesses, using the phone, doing all the stuff that a lot of people hate to do because doggone it, I need revenue. So, you know, as um as the great Les Brown would say, you got to be hungry. You know, when you're hungry, you're going to do other things that that people normally aren't willing to do, so that you can have the life other people would like to have, right? And so, what I tell people when they're when they're making the decision to start out, you first of all know that what you're going to offer is in demand, so you can make a business out of it. And then the other thing you need to know is it is going to be probably ten times harder than you think it is, and you really have to have a, a really strong constitution, so to speak. And you know, I knew going through that first year, I knew that this is what I should be doing. I knew I was going to be successful, but I didn't know when. 
And I kept thinking about this book I had read by Greg Reed called Three Feet from Gold. And every day, every month that went by, Tom, I said, I'm not going to quit because doggone it, that next, that first client could be tomorrow, next hour, or it could be a week from now. I am not quitting now after everything I've just been through. But it is hard. And, you know, that's interesting. You say people getting fired. There was a book and I, it's not coming to the front of my memory, so, but I'll give you what I think the title is, Get Fired and Then Get Fired Up or something like that. It interviews a lot of famous entrepreneurs who initially got fired as the reason they started their business. Well, Harvey McKay had a book uh, out about, I don't know, eight years ago, 10 years ago called I Got Fired and It's the Best Thing That Ever Happened to Me. Yes, exactly. And it was the same concept of he interviewed like really famous people who had been, you know, fired or laid off or, you know, passed over. And it was the same thing. It's like you think, well, that person's the top of broadcasting or that person's the top of business. And it turns out somebody, you know, brushed him aside. And that always stuck in the back of my mind was when people didn't see what I was trying to accomplish or what I really wanted to do. I, I just said, oh, all right. And I just kept going. I had one friend when I first said, I want to start as a speaker, literally tell me you're, you're, you're not famous. You're nothing special. Why would anybody hire you to do keynotes? And I said, well, they hire a lot of other people. It might as well be me. Uh, and, and I sort of started going anyway. And that same friend said like a year later, because I wasn't having a lot of success out of the gate. I was having some. And he said, well, when do you quit? You know, when do you just decide this isn't for me? And my answer back was, I could do it part time. Even if I go get a job, I can still speak. I like doing it. Why would I quit? I said, the only thing I knew is 100% of the people who quit don't make it to the top. Right. And yet there's all kinds of people who want to pull you down and undermine you when you're trying to get something launched. No, that's true. And, um, you know, I think six months into my journey where I was uh, in my head, I was the founder of my own corporation and I, I was I was already successful. I just had zero revenue. And I think one one weekend, God love her, she's awesome. But my mother-in-law came over and, and showed me an, a want ad in the Wall Street Journal for a marketing manager. And I said, you don't understand, I have my business. And she just looked at me in that mother-in-law look and thought, well, okay, I just thought you might want to see this. So, you know, sometimes you have people in your life that are either going to push you along, pull you along, or kind of upset you a little bit. Well, and my father was always really supportive of everything his kids did. But every time I would see him, he passed away last December. But every time I would see him, he goes, how's that speaking thing work out? Or have you gotten a real job? And I said, dad, this is a real job. You know, this is, this is really a thing. Yeah. You know, what's funny, Tom is, um, and my dad was similar. I mean, he's turning 80 like next week. And, um, so you do paid speaking gigs. A lot of the gigs that I do are unpaid, but then I, I get to present, you know, some of my products. And so you, you know, there's either the paid speaking or you get paid by selling selling your goods and, at the and back. I, of the and room. I want to jump in that both are a good model. Sometimes there's speakers who go, oh, well, if they're speaking for free to sell their products, they're not as legit. The truth of the matter, <laughs> the truth of the matter is a lot of the people who are doing that are making five times what the speaking fee would be. So, that is exactly so right. So I, I like to throw in that just because someone speaks to promote their business doesn't mean it's not a legitimate speaking model because they might be making, you know, a million dollars or a half million dollars on the back end where the speaker's being paid a few thousand. That's exactly right. So when I, so that's the road I went down by, by doing this. And, you know, I, I could walk out with 10, 20, 30 new members for no hassle newsletters or later on, you know, people are joining my coaching program. But and when I got started and I took my dad, I talked, I talked to my parents like every week and well, where are you going? I'm heading down to uh, Texas or California, giving a speech. Are they, are they, 
And he says, I know you're not getting paid, but are they at least picking up your hotel and your airfare? No, Dad. I don't get it. I just don't get why you do that. And it's because, like you said, I could walk home with three coaching clients worth twenty dollars to $30,000, or I could walk home and be have, having been paid 5000 or 10000 for a speech. Which one do you think is better off? Oh, ab- ab- absolutely. And, and you know, I, it was funny because I think some people just don't understand the way the model works. And, you know, it is interesting because... Uh, you know, my father was 99 when he passed away. He was he was older when I was born. He was in his 50s when I came along, and, and he lived a great, you know, long life. But the world that he lived in was very different than the world that we live in today. If you think about his life, you know, he was born in 1914. He was born 11 years after Kitty Hawk. So the wow. Wright brothers had just flown a plane 11 years before he was born. So the world that he grew up in was very different than the world that my children are growing up in. And in his day, you, you got a steady job and you worked for 40 years and you retired and got a gold watch. And, and that's what he did. And that was his reference, his frame of reference. And yet three of his four kids are solopreneurs working for themselves. And so it's a different world. And like I said, he was always very supportive and thought it was great. But, you know, he told me I never would have done it that way because it wasn't the commonplace. Yep, exactly. So different times. Yeah, that's right. Times are times are changing. Well, you know, Jim, we could talk about you for you know the whole thirty minutes, and and it would be fascinating to people. However, I find some of the best entrepreneurs are observers. So I always like to ask my guests, what's something someone else is doing that's cool, not just what are you doing that's cool. You know, there's a few a few friends of mine um, who actually got me into doing my own live seminars, and they do. Um, they're used to doing, you know, filling rooms with a couple hundred people or 300 people, which is actually getting very hard these days. So kind of the live event models really getting difficult to put butts in the seats, as they say. But there's somebody um, that has taught me a different model, and it's kind of uh, boutique events. And so that's kind of the path that I went down. And I started a, a couple of years ago, Tom, with my Dream Business Academy. And so I put about 40 to 50 people in a room, and that's it. And so the strategy, you could say, well, shoot, why don't you just put a couple hundred? Because when I've been to events where there's, you know, a few hundred or maybe even 500 or 1,000 people, you're a lot there. You're a lot less likely to get people engaged, first of all, from the stage to get them to stand up and engage with you. Nobody really wants to share their woes or their questions in front of a thousand people. Number one, it's impossible. Uh, number two, for the speaker to get to know everybody. So I purposely set out to create these small boutique events. So by the end of three days, I know everybody in the room. I've interacted with everybody in the room. Everybody in the room starts feeling free to get up and share. And then, you know, we do these hot seats and things like that. So sometimes, again, it's another model, just like we talked about. There's kind of two models for speaking. There's two models for doing seminars. You could rent a big room and, and work like crazy to fill it, or you could do these smaller boutique events and have a much bigger impact on a small, smaller number of people. And it really is true that it, you know, I don't think the size matters. Sometimes I think some of the the people in the speaking industry got really big about, oh, I spoke to a thousand. Oh yeah, I spoke to 3000. Oh yeah, I spoke to 5000. And this year at the National Speakers Association meeting, a woman from Canada who is just crushing it in, in the world of speaking, her name is Tony Newman. She stood up on stage and she looked at the audience and she said, when did an audience of 2000 become more important than an audience of 12. Mm. And I don't know if she said 2000 or 1000 or 12 or 10 or whatever, but it was like big versus small. And you could hear the room just sort of gasp because her point was the people who are in your audience, someone in that group, there's one person or 10 people who need to hear your message 
And that's what matters. It's that one person or that dozen people. It doesn't matter how big your room is. It's are you impacting a human that's in the audience? And I walked away from that speech that she gave thinking, you know, to heck, you know, to heck with who cares how many are in the audience. I care that there's one person in the audience that matters. So your point about, you know, the smaller seminars maybe having more of an impact, you know, I think you're right. You know, not only that, but, you know, I'll kind of marry that thought with what we talked about earlier as far as social media. And it's more important to put out good information, not how many likes you have. You know, so at this event I was at this this past week, I mentioned somebody came up to me who I did not know and um, said, Jim, I love your videos. Now, just I've been doing uh, weekly videos. It's called Newsletter Guru TV, newsletterguru.tv. Weekly videos for five years. have never missed a week, Tom. It's a pretty big commitment. But one person walked up to me and goes, I love the one you did about um, – you know, what, what was the toughest time in your life as an entrepreneur? Cause she said, I'm going through that now. And we, so we chatted for a minute and as we walk, as you're we getting ready to kind of part, she goes, you know, Jim, I've been watching you jump off the dock for three years now at the, let me give you what that means. At the beginning of my videos, I'm standing on a dock and I say, welcome news out of guru TV, a boatload of smart marketing and business building advice and a little fun along the way. And at that point I jump off the dock. And so when she says, I've been watching you jump off the dock for three years, that, made my entire week, Tom. So I don't know if she ever liked it, if she ever shared it, but I knew that I was having an impact on this one person from some of the content that I was putting out. And I think that's what many of us become entrepreneurs for is we want to make a difference to that one person. And yet oftentimes we don't know who that one person is. So, you know, I mean, you feel like you just have to get up and keep doing it every day anyway. That's right. It's exactly right. So Jim, the other thing I like to ask everybody is how do you give back? Because my favorite entrepreneurs have a really big heart and they want to make society better, not just make their bank account better. So what do you do to serve the greater good? You know, um, I learned uh, actually 13 years ago, um, I, I uh, was saved, became a Christian, to be totally candid with you. And I learned about tithing and things like that. But Tom, I'll be quite honest. There was a point in my life when I thought when the offering plate came by, if I put in five and then I put in 20 and I really thought that was a big deal. And when I learned about the power of tithing, uh, not only from, from being in a Bible study, but when I started reading about it in some business books, and it's kind of embarrassing. I, I didn't necessarily hit home from my church teachings, but somebody in a kind of a secular business book wrote about the power of giving away 10% of your income. Okay. And I thought, wow, there's a business guy talking about it. And, and he, and he said, you know, whether you believe in God or the universe or spirit or just vibrations, whatever, it is a universal law that when you give, you will receive and you usually receive or are blessed in, in a higher proportion than what you give away. So I slowly started testing that many years ago. And today, um, and I'm, I'm just being completely honest, I'm not trying to brag, but we we are tither plus. So we, you know, I'm doing very well, been very blessed, and so we give more. And what I have learned, someone told me this about three years ago. I, I shared it with a very close friend of mine. So it's not the kind of thing you talk about openly, but and this person said, "You can, Jim, you can't outgive God." And um, so I, 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 in a way, I've sort of had this little contest the last few years. I keep pushing the envelope, and God keep blesses, keeps blessing me. And I, so I tell people when I'm out speaking, Tom, I talk about the power of giving back, and I say, I want you to know that you know these last five or six years have been 
explosive growth in my business. And then I, I marry that with how I give back. And I say, no one will ever convince me that these two are not married at the hip. So no matter, I say, no matter where you are right now, start giving away 10%. So the other part about giving is you don't just, you're not supposed to just write a check. You're supposed to give your time as well. So I'm involved as an example, just use myself. I'm involved in an organization called Good Work. So not only do I serve on the board, it's a nonprofit and we financially support this organization, but one Saturday a month, uh, a group of guys from my church, we go and we repair homes for low-income people, um, you know, about five miles from where I live. And um, that is the way we give back an, a whole day every single month. And so you, you give back your time and you give back your money. And there's one more thing I like to say when I'm, when I'm giving speeches. If you really want to, what I call lock and load for results, make an agreement, you know, whether it's with your spouse or significant other about here's who we're going to support and here's what we're going to give and then set it up. So that money comes out of your checking account every month, because in the entrepreneurial world, you can have peaks and valleys in your business. And, you know, if Sunday's the typical day, you're going to write a check because a lot of the money goes to your local church. So if that's the day and you've had a bad week or so, you're less likely to give more. But if you already have a predetermined amount it, it, as an entrepreneur and you know that money's coming out, it, it's really going to, if you need it, it's going to make your work even harder. It's going to have that fire stoked up a little bit under your backside. You're going to work, work even harder. So it's, I, it really, it's uh, another definition I like here is it's having a big why. So as entrepreneurs get successful and they get comfortable and they're no longer, you know, living paycheck to paycheck and they have some nice things, they get a little comfortable and they, and they back off the accelerator a little bit just to maintain. And I think when you have a big why, which is either someone or a cause or it's something other than putting dollars in your checking account, that will make you get up earlier, work harder and dig deeper. Well, and I think you and I are kind of cut from the same cloth because I believe in a lot of those exact same things. And one of the things my family did is we established what we call the Kate Singer Endowment for Cranial Facial Surgery and Research because our youngest daughter was born with a condition where the bones in her skull were fused together and she had to have pretty massive surgery when she was six months old. And, you know, as I was launching my career several years later, we felt that we were very fortunate. We have two fantastic daughters. They're both very healthy. Uh, they're both smart as can be. Kate's head is totally fine now after having an entire sort of reconstruction process done to it. And, you know, my wife was saying, you know, wh what do we do to give back? You know, wh where do we serve? And so we didn't have a, a children's hospital of any merit in Austin when Kate was born, but eight years ago, they opened up a brand new facility. And so we started there and then also included the children's hospital in San Diego where Kate was treated. And we give a percentage of my speaking fees uh, just right off the top. When I get paid, they get paid. And one mm -hmm. of the cool things about that is over time, it adds up. I mean, it's, you know, if I send a $50 check when I started or a $100 check, it felt like, well, this doesn't really make a difference for cranial facial research. However, I call it compounded generosity. It's kind of like the idea of compounded interest, where if you start saving for retirement in your 20s, the magic of time and, and interest is going to add up and it's going to become a giant sum for retirement. We're all told that, but we don't all do it. But, uh, you know, the same thing is true with, with your giving. If, if you start early and do it consistently, both of money and time to causes that matter, and then you track it over time, it's going to become an unprecedented amount of money. And, and that's sort of what's happened here. So, you know, my brother said to me one time, he goes, Tom, we don't, we don't come from a family that has our name on the wall of a hospital. How do you have these two endowments that are, you know, that 
that are you know functioning functioning endowments and you have plaques on walls and i said because we did it it compounded over time we just did fifty dollars hundred dollars two hundred and fifty dollars some clients heard about it and did a thousand dollars and then they invest that money and it grows and the stock market has done well and now well i don't talk really openly about how much it is it's grown to be a real number you know that really has an impact for the doctors at both these hospitals and i'm not going to stop as long as i'm fortunate to be able to stand on stage and speak to audiences we're going to continue to do this and someday it's going to be hundreds of thousands of dollars and i'm just a guy you know i'm not i'm not wealthy so i tell people you don't have to be rich to make an impact on philanthropy and it sounds like you know you believe that exact same thing yeah and you know something else tom it just occurred to me and so this is when earlier when we first got started i said somebody's going to hear something in their earbuds and it's going to resonate with them i'm going to i want to say something and um you know i learned it was probably about four or five years ago i, I never talked about this i mean i i grew up in a jump 56 i grew up in a generation you don't ask your parents how much money they make you just don't talk about money and um you know, I have a very a couple really really close friends. Like, as you say, we're cut from the same cloth. And I started sharing some of this. And about four years ago, I was to go out and give a, a speech in California, kind of the a little bit of wacky California crowd. And I said that it was to be a speech, not about newsletters, or it was to be about you know how I run my business and it's kind of a success oriented talk. And I said I really want to share about this giving back. And how do you think it'll go over? He said, Man, I think you ought to do it. And so. I made that my very last point because I was going to judge how the audience would. I didn't want to like if it's going to be like totally offensive. I didn't want to kill it at the beginning. So I made it my very last point. And I was I kept praying actually through the whole speech as I'm giving it. Just tell me what you want me to share, Father. And and he said, man, you better go for it. or I'm going to make your plane seriously delayed on the way home is what I was hearing. And um, so I shared everything we're talking about now and the audience loved it. So many people came up and there was this um, there was this older man and he said, Jim, I wish more people would be open and talk about this. They just don't do it. And I took that as my kind of my my calling. I think he was there for a reason to challenge me. So I've never backed off, whether it's doing an interview and you and I have, you know, just met or whether I'm speaking on a stage or doing whatever. I talk openly about this. And the reason I'm okay doing it is or one of the reasons I was challenged with it at first is I didn't want to appear like I was bragging. And I do think there's an expression, um, the way you live your life may be the only Bible people get to read, right? And so even if you're not religious, you know, the way you live your life says a lot more than what you do. And so when I talk about this and every month I, I get on Facebook and say, hey, it's Good Work Saturday and I'm getting ready to go work on this home. And I don't do that to brag. I do it to hopefully inspire and to hopefully make people aware that there's need in that, yes, I would maybe rather go be on my boat today, but I've got to do I've got to do my my day of service here, and so I'm okay sharing, and I want to encourage other people because there's other people doing a lot of great things. I think I want to challenge people to be open and share it and talk about it and and just help be an inspiration to other people. Well, I I appreciate it, and I think you've done that here today. So, Jim, let's say that somebody was listening and they really enjoyed our, our little chat that we had and they want to find out more about about you. They want to know more about Jim Palmer. They want to know about the newsletter guru, about Dream Business Coach. How in the world do people find you? Well, they can go to www.getjimpalmer.com, getjimpalmer.com. From there, you know, there's links to my, my uh, web TV show, my podcast, my coaching programs, Dream Business Academy. Everything you'll see is at getjimpalmer.com. 
Fantastic. Well, hopefully, people who are listening, you will go get jimbomber.com. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. As I've always said, we're having a, a fun time along this journey, and I really, really appreciate you joining in as a listener. If you enjoyed what you heard, please drop me a note. Let me know on Twitter. I'm at Tom Singer or at Cool Podcast. Uh, also, you can find me on uh, Facebook. We have a Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do Facebook page community. Please go ahead and join there. And if you really like the show, jump over to iTunes and, and leave a review. As a new show, we really do get a lot of uh, uh, a lot of uh, attention if we get reviews and ratings and downloads because that puts us onto the lists and then other people find us. So it has been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of days with another episode. And in the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank <laughs> you.